Welcome to Strong Meat for Strong Believers. I'm Pastor Doug Johnson. I want to invite you to join me as we look at the issues facing us today and what God's Word says about them. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14 says, Milk is for babies, but strong meat is for grown-ups who can discern the difference between good and evil. At the end of the broadcast, I'll tell you how you can get a copy of this message for yourself. And now, grab your Bible and get ready for another helping of Strong Meat for Strong Believers. Everything will be so great that you'll forget all the heartache and all the pain in this life. You'll even forget the good times that you had here on earth because the good times will pale in comparison to what God has in store for his people. Hallelujah. Now notice he also said, now again, this is God speaking, telling us what it's going to be like. God said the people are going to build houses to live in. Hallelujah. Now, wait a minute, Pastor. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. There are. There are. But these are going to be people also that, remember, we're going to be ruling and reigning over. So people are going to be building houses. And he said, what you build, you'll be able to dwell in. You're not going to build it and then somebody else take it. He said, you're going to build what you want and you can dwell in it. You're going to plant a vineyard and you're going to be able to enjoy the fruit of your vineyard. Hallelujah. And God said, I will answer my people before they even call on me. Hallelujah. You know, God is the only one who can actually do that because the Bible says he knows what we need even before we ask him. And God says, during this time, I will answer you before you call on me because he hears the cries of your heart. Hallelujah. And he said, the wolf and the lamb are going to eat together. The lion is going to eat straw like an ox. The snake will eat dust and never bite another person. Anybody get homesick tonight? Hallelujah. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Praise the Lamb of God. Now, that was Isaiah. Let's turn over one book to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 31. <clears throat> Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 31. <clears throat> now, this is the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. And he says in Jeremiah 31, verse 31, he says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people." And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus saith the Lord, which gives the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divides the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, says the Lord. Now the Lord is speaking here through Jeremiah the prophet, and he says, I'm going to keep my promise that I made to Israel. Hallelujah. And not only is he going to keep the original promise, but he's going to make a new covenant with Israel. Hallelujah. And according to verse 34, 
There'll be no need for teaching and preaching during this time because everyone is going to know the Lord. Can you imagine how great that's going to be? I, I mean, it, it would be that right there will be heaven by itself. Well, we're talking about the new earth, the new Jerusalem. But everybody's going to know the Lord. And God says the only way that he can forget the promises he's made to Israel is if heaven can be measured and the foundations of the earth can be searched out. In other words, it is impossible for God to forget what he has promised to Israel and it is impossible for him to, to, uh, to forget them because God himself is the only one who knows how big heaven is and he's the only one who can measure the foundations of the earth. Amen. And God says, I ain't going to tell nobody. <laughs> so God is going to keep his covenant. Hallelujah. So those people who think that the church has replaced Israel, no, it hasn't. God still has a place for Israel, and we need to do everything we can to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Can I have an amen? Hallelujah. Let's go back to Revelation 21 now, all right? Revelation 21 and verse 5. <clears throat> and he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Again, he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is thirsty of the fountain of the water of life freely. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Now notice, this is Jesus speaking to John now. And John tells, or Jesus tells him, he says, this is true and faithful. I want you to write this down. This is true and faithful. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. What does that mean? It means this is going to happen. I have settled it myself. What I'm telling you, what you're seeing is going to happen. Brothers and sisters, we are pilgrims just passing through this land. That's all we are. Don't get too comfortable down here. You know, we need to get our priorities in line. You know, I see people all the time, uh, and especially in America, God blesses them, and instead of blessing others, they'll go and buy two or three homes for themselves where you can only live in one at a time. <laughs> I see people buying 10 cars. You can only drive one at a time. You know, why, don't, why, don't you, why don't you get your priorities in line and take uh, what God has given you? Because you can't take it with you. Uh, why don't you sell something to somebody who needs one? And then you take that money and you invest it in the kingdom of God so souls can be saved and go to heaven and they can enjoy the same things we're reading about tonight. Amen. Let's get our priorities in line. When God blesses you, he doesn't bless you so you can be selfish and hoard it for yourself. He blesses you so you can win souls for it. Hallelujah. Now verse 6, Jesus said, I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. That word thirst means longing. A longing. They that long for it. God put a longing inside of every one of us. And nothing in this world can satisfy that longing except Jesus. And Jesus told the woman of the well that he gives the water of life freely to all those who are thirsty for salvation. He said if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask of him to give you a drink. And he'd give you a drink of something you'd never come back to this well for. <laughs> Hallelujah. And, of course, that piqued her interest because she thought he was talking about natural water. And, but Jesus offers the well of, of eternal life. And then verse 7, Jesus says, He that overcomes shall inherit all things. That word inherit, he's not talking about somebody dying 
And you get it, even though Jesus did die on the cross and we are joint heirs with him as children of God. But what he's, that word inherit in that verse talks about a father sharing with his children. That everything God the Father has, you and I are children of God, we are entitled to. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 4, For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Everyone that is born of God overcomes the world. Ain't that good news? How do we overcome? By our faith. I want to ask you tonight, do you have faith tonight that Jesus is coming back to take you to heaven? Do you believe that he is going to make all things new? Do you believe in his house are many mansions? You overcome the world by your faith. Praise the Lamb of God. Now look at verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now the second death here is for those who refuse to repent. We already know from what our study has already been that the devil, the Antichrist, the false prophet, and the, all the armies that came against Jesus are already in the lake of fire by the time we're reading chapter 21. And Jesus tells us here in verse 8 that there will be others who will join them there. And he gives us a list. First one is the fearful. The fearful. You know, it takes courage to stand for Christ. It takes courage don't be afraid. Jesus said, fear not them which can destroy only your body, but destroy him that can destroy both your body and your soul in hell. In other words, don't be afraid of what man can do. If anything, you, you watch over what God says, respect what God says, because the fearful, those who fear man more than God, will not have eternal life. Then he says, the infidels, those are the atheists, those who say God doesn't exist, they also will have their part in the lake of fire. Then he says the abominable. Those are the ones who commit the abominations listed in the Bible. They will be there. He says the murderers will be there. You might think, well, Pastor Doug, I've never killed anybody. Well, can I tell you something? You can kill somebody with your tongue. The Bible says death and life are in the power of the tongue. You better watch it. Your tongue can send you to hell. You better make sure that that, that tongue gets sanctified, set apart. For the master's use, hallelujah. The sexually immoral that will be there. The fornicators will be there. The sorcerers. By the way, that word sorcerer there in that verse, uh, the Greek word there is pharmakia, which is where we get our word pharmacy. What do you get at the pharmacy? Drugs. So the drug abusers. The drug, uh, the drug abusers will be part of that if they don't get saved. Then he says the idol worshipers and all liars. We need to pray for our politicians to get saved. I told somebody one day, I said, now listen. They, they told a little lie. I said, you know where all liars go, don't you? And, of course, they knew I was a pastor. They said, to hell. And I said, well, they, usually they go to Washington first. <laughs> Just a little joke there. But the main thing is, even liars. Lying will send you to hell, my friend. Why? Because the devil is a liar. The de Jesus said the devil is the father of of all lies. When we tell a lie, I guarantee you that, Je that Jesus didn't give that to you. It came from the devil. So my friends, we see here, even from the mouth of Jesus himself in verse 8, 
These are the people who will find their place in the lake of fire. And, and so there will be nothing in heaven that will hurt or offend us. But those who choose sin over Jesus, they will have it forever in the lake of fire. And so we need to make sure that we say, God, please forgive me if I'm guilty of any of these things. Now, there are two false doctrines concerning the final judgment. One, the first false doctrine is called universalism. Has anybody heard of that? Universalism. Universalism teaches this. That the punishment of the wicked is only temporary. That everyone will eventually be saved, even Satan. They say that there is no literal place called hell. That we're going through hell right now with the problems and trials we face on earth. And they teach the lake of fire will only burn off our sins and purify us for heaven. The universalists say, and I quote, not one of us chose to be involved in the fallout from Adam's offense. We were not asked by God if we wanted to partake of the condemnation of Adam's sin, nor were we able to choose a different course. Not one of us chose to be involved in Adam's condemnation. Neither must we choose to be involved in the salvation wrought by Christ on the cross, end quote. In other words, what they're saying is everyone is automatically saved because of Jesus being the last Adam. However, that is a false doctrine because the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. My friend, we can't blame Adam and Eve for the mess we're in because the fact is each and every person has sinned at some point in their life. Therefore, the truth is, it's your fault you act the way you do. It ain't Adam's and Eve's fault. And you make your own choices in life. But the universalists, they say, I could never torture people endlessly, especially my own children. How can you say that God will do that to his children? This seems hideous. You make God look like a monster worse than Hitler, not a loving father who would even die for his enemies. By the way, this is from a conversation that I had several years ago with a universalist. Now, so that's why I can tell you what they believe, what they say. Now, the truth is, there will not be one child of God in hell. You see, that just blows that argument out of the water. They're saying that everybody's saved. Well, if everybody's automatically saved, that means everybody's a child of God. And that's why it doesn't make sense to them. And it doesn't make sense to them because what they're saying isn't right. There will not be one child of God in hell. God will not send anyone to the lake of fire. If anyone goes, their life is their judge, jury, and executioner. God will simply pass the sentence down after their, their lives sins, uh, their sins have been read aloud for everyone. Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 43, If your hand offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that is not quenched. So that is universalism. The second false doctrine is called conditional immortality or annihilationism. Annihilationism teaches that everything, your body and your soul, will go out of existence when you die. And those who repent will receive immortality. Those who don't will receive annihilation. You basically pff, annihilate it. There's nothing left of you. And they actually use a scripture verse. They refer to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, and it goes like this. 
who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Now, they say that word destruction there means annihilation. No, it don't. It doesn't. The word there, for the word destruction in this verse, means eternal punishment. That's what Jesus was saying. Or that's what Paul was saying there to the Thessalonians. It means eternal punishment. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, for the right, and but the righteous will go into life eternal. So there is Jesus uh, Jesus there, what he said, Paul, uh, what he said to Thessalonians also confirms what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46. You see, the truth is when unsaved people die, their souls go to hell, but they will be delivered up at the final judgment. This judgment is not to determine where they will spend eternity because that was already decided when they refused Christ and died lost. Charles Ryrie, the theologian of Dallas Theological Seminary, said this, and I quote, The final judgment is to prove that eternal punishment is their deserved destiny, end quote. That's basically what it is, because their eternity is already settled when they die lost without Jesus. The story is told of a, one night an unsaved man dreamed that he went to heaven. And in his dream there were no walls, there were no barriers there, and he was able to walk in. He saw lush green pastures, rolling hills, and fruit trees in abundance. As he began walking through the green pastures, the blades of grass were like tiny swords cutting into his bare feet. Leaning against a tree, he noticed the ripe fruit hanging from its branches. When he tasted the fruit, the juice was like acid burning his tongue. He woke up in a panic and realized the dream was God's way of showing him that he was not ready for heaven. He immediately bowed down on his knees beside the bed and gave his heart to Jesus. My friend, I want to tell you something. God has ways of getting through to anybody, anywhere. And your lost loved ones, Jesus loves them more than we do. You keep praying for them. God knows how, what it's going to take to get through to them. Hallelujah. But these false doctrines, annihilationism and universalism, these are just two of the many, many false doctrines out there about the final judgment. And the reason that some people try to explain away the final judgment is because they don't want to face the fact that they'll have to give an account of their life one day before God. But my friends, that does not change the fact it's going to happen. It will happen. And that second resurrection, we want to be part of the first one, amen? The second resurrection is the resurrection of the wicked, and they will stand before God at the great white throne judgment. Revelation even tells us that even hell itself is going to be thrown into the lake of fire. Now think about that. Hell itself is going to be thrown in the lake of fire along with the devil, the Antichrist, and all those who follow him. So where exactly is the lake of fire? Well, nobody knows for sure. The Bible does not tell us exactly where it is. The only clues we have is what Jesus said in Matthew 25, verse 30, when he said, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, some think that outer darkness means outer space. I don't know that for a fact, but it's just a theory out there. But then you've got to ask the question, well, how can fire burn if there's no oxygen in outer space? Well, take the sun, for instance. The sun is a big ball of fire in outer space, and it's there every day. 
But the thing is, the, the sun does not burn like we think of logs and paper burning. It burns because of nuclear fusion is happening at its core, and it glows from the gases around it, so no oxygen is required for the sun to be in outer space. That shows you the greatness and the wisdom of God who put that big ball of light in the sky for us. My friend, God can bend and even change physics and the laws of science to do what he wants to do. Hallelujah. But here's the thing. How can there be a lake of fire and darkness at the same time? Now, that's a good question, because anytime there's fire, there is light. Well, let me share with you something that I came across in studying this. We have found, NASA has found that in space, flames behave in ways nobody thought possible. According to the Smithsonian, they report that experiments are being run on fire at the International Space Station. That, and I quote this, NASA scientists are especially excited about a bizarre, unprecedented type of combustion that they observe in space. When certain types of liquid fuel catch fire, they continue to burn even when the flames appear to have been extinguished. The fuel combustion occurs in two stages. The first stage, the fire burns with a visible flame that eventually goes out. But shortly afterward, the fuel reignites taking the form of flames that are invisible to the naked eye. Fire that burns, not needing oxygen, and is invisible to the naked eye. If that is, how, if that is absolutely true, if, if that is true, then that would also indicate, that would give us a clue about how there could be a lake of fire in outer space in darkness at the same time. My friend, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing, and just as he told John, he said, it is true, it is faithful, it's going to happen, write it down. Brothers and sisters, now nobody knows for sure where the lake of fire is. I'm just putting that out there for you to think about, but one thing's for sure, the lake of fire would have to be pretty big in order to hold all of hell and Satan and the Antichrist, the false prophet, and all the souls of the wicked men and women. You know, hell and the lake of fire were not created for man. They were created for Satan and his demons. That's why they are so terrible. And as a child of God, you don't have to be afraid of God's judgment. John tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. But as he is, so are we in this world. My friend, we can have boldness in the day of judgment because... When the day of judgment comes, Christians don't have to be afraid because Jesus has forgiven our sin and washed them away with his precious blood. My friend, anybody glad you're saved tonight? His blood is enough. Hallelujah. Let's turn now to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2. Beginning with verse 4. In this chapter, Peter gives three examples of how God has judged wickedness throughout history. Just in case there are those who still don't believe that God is going to hold people accountable for what they have done. 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning with verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, 
and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them, in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. My friend, those are three examples right there. The first example that Peter gave was the angels. You know, angels are heavenly beings. You and I are not heavenly beings. I know y'all think your grandkids are angels in the flesh. I understand that. But we are still human beings. Angels are stronger than us. They are uh, wiser than us. Yet when they sinned, God did not spare them, but he cast them down to hell. Now, if God has already judged angels, how much more will that happen to humans who sin against God? The second example Peter uses is when God sent a worldwide flood during Noah's day to judge the wickedness of mankind. Those who did not repent and get in the ark were drowned and sent straight to hell. The third example, God rained fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah during Lot's day, and those who did not repent and follow them They were condemned, they were destroyed, and they were sent straight to hell. And Peter says, these are all examples of judgment that comes to those who have filthy conversation, perverse lifestyles, and unlawful deeds. God reserves the wicked for the day of judgment, but he has also always spared the righteous. God saved Noah's family. He spared Lot's family every single time. And again, that's why I tell you when the rapture takes place, we're out of here. Hallelujah. The judgment of God will come. I want to be part of the first resurrection. Anybody else? Amen. Peter goes on to tell us in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11, he says, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness. You know, the coming judgment is one of the greatest incentives for believers to live holy lives. We should not let anything hold us back from going to heaven in the first resurrection, the rapture. He also tells us in 2 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Now Peter says, scoffers will come in the last days and they will scoff at the idea of Jesus' return. Have you seen any scoffers lately? They're popping up everywhere. In fact, if you've ever heard somebody say, I've heard all my life Jesus coming back and he hasn't yet. Anybody ever heard that? Oh yeah, they're scoffers. The thing is, the amazing thing is, every time somebody says that, they are fulfilling prophecy. (laughs) They're fulfilling what Peter prophesied right here in 2 Peter chapter 3. So the next time you meet a scoffer, show them 2 Peter 3 verses 3 and 4 and tell them the Bible knew you was going to say that and watch them freak out. I'm telling you, God can read people like a book. He knows what they're going to do before they even do it. And so this is one of the signs of the last days, one of the signs of Jesus coming back, the scoffers. 
Now, there are three types of scoffers in the world today. You might want to write this down. I'm going to give them to you. The first type of scoffer is the modern deist. The modern deist. That's spelled D-E-I-S-T. Modern deists believe that God created the world, but he stays out of earth's affairs. In other words, we have to go it alone. Jesus is not coming back. He doesn't care about you. That's what the modern deist says. And that's why they are scoff. That's why they scoff at Jesus' return because they don't think that he cares. They believe he created the world, but that's it. It don't go any farther than that. But here's a verse you can show them. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Well, what does that say to the modern deist? It says God loves us. And he does get involved in our lives, especially when it comes to eternity. He loves you, and he is coming back. Amen. The second type of scoffer today is the theological liberal. The theological liberal. Theological liberals believe that God does not intervene in our lives. They explain away miracles. They explain away the baptism of the Holy Ghost as things that were only done in Bible times. God doesn't do miracles anymore. He doesn't do that. That is the theological liberal. Well, here's a verse you can share with a theological liberal. It's Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God. Now, God said this. I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I will pour out those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. So what does that say to the theological liberal? It says that God in the last days is going to pour out his Holy Spirit on all who believe. God still answers prayer and still works miracles. Anybody be glad for that? Hallelujah. And the third type of scoffer today is the humanist. The humanist. Humanists put themselves on the throne of their lives. They say, I am my own master. I choose what is right and wrong. They're basically calling themselves God. That's the humanist. Well, what does the Bible say? Psalm 14, 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. What does that say to the humanist? It says only a fool thinks that they're in control of everything and there is no God. My friend, if you think you're God, that means you're in control of everything, and I can't handle that kind of pressure. I don't know about you. I have my hands full just dealing with Doug Johnson. I can't even keep things in my own life into control. I can't, I can't take on everybody else. But there are people who believe the lie of the devil and think that they are their own God. I read about this recently. An atheist in Kentucky, this happened just recently. His name is Benny Hart. He won a court case to have the words, I am God, on his license plate. Kentucky transportation officials had at first denied his application, saying it did not meet their requirements. Well, the ACLU, surprise there, the ACLU and the Freedom From Religion Foundation filed a First Amendment lawsuit on Hart's behalf and a judge ruled in his favor, and Kentucky now has to pay him $150,000, and he's got the words, I am God, on his license plate. Now, here's what he says about that, and I quote, I can prove I'm God. You can't prove that I'm not. 
I've got a $100 bill I've carried for 20 years to the first person that can prove that I'm not God and I still got it. How can I prove that I'm God? Well, there are six definitions for God in the American Heritage Dictionary. And number five is a very handsome man. And my wife says I'm a very handsome man and nobody argues with my wife. Again, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That is that man's thinking. Can you imagine what this man's going to be like spending eternity in the lake of fire? All that, and he'll be, he'll be remembered all those times that he thought he was God. The scoffer is fulfilling Bible prophecy. That's what's happening. My friends, the devil has a lot of people fooled, a lot of people confused, telling them that God doesn't exist. My friend, there's a lot of scoffers in the world today, but we know the truth. Amen? Let's turn now to John chapter 5. John chapter 5. <coughs> now, this is Jesus speaking. Again, we're talking about the final judgment. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. For the Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honors not the Son honors not the Father which has sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that hears my words and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is. When the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they, shall, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father has life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself, and hath given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of life, they that have done evil are the resurrection of damnation. And notice here, again, this is Jesus speaking. And Jesus said, everyone will be resurrected from their graves. The resurrection of the good refers to, or is referred to as the resurrection of life. The resurrection of the wicked is referred to as the resurrection of damnation. Now I want you to notice, who will be the judge that judges everybody? It's Jesus. That's right. And when you think about it, he's the perfect judge because he's the one who died for our sins and he's the one that people reject and turn away from. So he's the one that will stand before. Hallelujah. The story is told about a teenage boy years ago who was driving his car down a dirt road at high speed. He went around a curve too fast and lost control of the car. It rolled down an embankment and into the river. As the car filled with water, the boy began to call out for help. A man coming from the opposite direction saw the wreck, stopped his vehicle, and was able to get the boy out before he drowned. Thank you, sir. I'll never forget you, the boy said. Well, several years went by. The boy grew into a young man. But he got involved with the wrong kind of friends and was arrested for stealing a car. Well, the day of his trial came, and in the courtroom, everyone stood as the judge walked in. Immediately, the young man recognized the judge as the same man who rescued him from the river years earlier. I've got nothing to worry about, the young man thought excitedly. I'm sure the judge will recognize me and let me go with a warning. Well, the prosecution presented their case, 
and the charges against him and asked for the maximum penalty to be given. Just before the judge pronounced the judgment, the young man asked if he could speak. Your Honor, he said to the judge, I don't know if you recognize me or not, but I'm the young man you saved from drowning in the river. I did recognize you when I walked in the courtroom, the judge said, but you must understand, on that day at the river, I was your savior, but today I am your judge, and your actions leave me no choice but to sentence you. Brothers and sisters, right now, Jesus is our savior who will forgive us of our sins when we come to him. But at the final judgment, he will be the judge. And the great and the small will all stand before him. All private sins and public sins will be revealed. And on that day, there'll be no hung jury. There'll be no plea bargains. There'll be no concealing of evidence. There'll be no need for character witnesses. And there'll be no mistrials. The Bible says they will all be judged according to their works. And the correct punishment will be pronounced. My friends, again, that final judgment is for those who have never accepted Jesus as the Lord and Savior. So whatever you do, do everything you can to make sure that you're ready to go to heaven. And most of all, continue praying for your lost loved ones to be saved. Amen. I'm going to share with you one more scripture verse or one more scripture passage from Matthew 25, begin with verse 31. Matthew 25, begin with verse 31. Again, this is Jesus speaking. He says in verse 31, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave you drink? When did we see you a stranger, and took you in, or naked, and clothed you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and came to you? And the king shall answer and say to them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Then shall he say unto all them on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. I was naked, and you clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not to me. And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Now I want you to notice there, what is the difference between the people on the right hand and those on the left hand on Judgment Day. The difference is the way they treated those who were in need. The way they treated those in need was the same way they had treated Jesus. People who are, sin, who are in sin, you know, sin is selfish. I don't know if you were like that when you were a sinner, but I was selfish. When you're in sin, everything you, all you think about is, is yourself. 
having a good time for yourself. What can I do for me? Sin is selfish. And Jesus, in this story, in this context, he explains when a selfish person, when someone is in sin, they only think about themselves. And so, therefore, they are not going to help anybody in need. A sinner, a wicked person is not going to do anything except what, belo- what, what is best for them. But those who are children of God, they're supposed to be different. Those who are children of God have got to look out for other people. And Jesus said, the way you treat other people is the way you're treating me. I'm going to close with this story. The story is told of a man named Old Ben putting it off. He was a member of the Lord's church. He was a good man. He didn't lie. He didn't cuss. He didn't cheat. Didn't smoke. Didn't beat his wife. He paid his taxes. He went to Bible study. He went to worship service. He paid his bills on time. He gave money to the Lord. He was never opposed to anything that was good. Old Ben Putnidoff died, and he stood before the Lord. You are charged with trying to close down the church, the Lord said. Are you guilty or not? Not guilty, pleaded Ben. I didn't do a thing. Guilty is charged, the judge said, because you've just confessed that the most effective way the enemy has devised for closing down the church, you didn't do a thing. You didn't visit the sick. You didn't encourage the weak. You didn't feed the hungry. You didn't reach out to the lost. Ben said, but judge, I intended to do all those things. I I was just too busy. I just kept putting it off. Brothers and sisters, the time for putting it off is over. It's time we be about our Father's business. Don't put off till tomorrow what you can do today. Jesus is watching us. The way we treat other people in need, he's watching us. Because what we do for them, we do it unto him. And my friends, Jesus is coming back soon. We're not trying to work our way to heaven, and that's not what Jesus was talking about. But he was saying in that story in Matthew 25, he said, he was saying that his people, his children, need to be different from the people of the world. The world only looks out for themselves. God's people look out for other people. There should be a difference in us. And the thing is, when the world sees that difference in us, they'll want to know the God we serve. They'll be drawn to him. Jesus said, let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good works, but glorify your Father in heaven. That's what the world needs to see. Amen. This has been Strong Meat for Strong Believers. If this broadcast was a blessing to you, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at revivalfire29 at yahoo.com or call me at 964-5333 and visit Raven Assembly of God's website at ravenag.org and find out more information about our church. This is Pastor Doug Johnson reminding you to keep your head up. God is on your side. And join me next time for more Strong Meat for Strong Believers.